0: We are here at 11FS headquarters in London We work for episode 29 of Blockchain Insider. Today we bring you a crypto bloodbath, prices nosedive, eek. Telegram, the chat application, plans to raise $620 million, but is it too late? Are ICOs over? And we speak to not one, but two Ryans, Mr. Shea and Mr. Selkis. um, I think we have a buddy cop Joe in the making. Alright, we are here for the news, and of course I have... The GSAS himself, Colin G. Platt. Are you near a field again? Uh, I'm actually sitting next to a river today. Oh, so you're changing the land masses and the landmarks and your geography. What Why? What was wrong with the field? Uh, the field was great, but, but I needed to come into town. You needed to come into town and see rivers and other, maybe even buildings. Um, th- there's a lot to see this week, lots of news. Uh, but before we get to the news, uh, I want to remind everybody that today's Blockchain Insider is brought to you by Corda. Corda, of course, is the open source blockchain platform that allows business Businesses to transact directly and in strict privacy using smart contracts. Corda enables complex transaction using real assets and legally binding agreements without the need of a trusted intermediary. Corda is the result of a collaborative effort led by R3 with over 160 of the world's largest banks and tech partners. It is ready to build on today, and the financial community are deploying Corda to manage their agreements and move assets globally. Uh, You can transform your business ecosystem with a platform selected by the world's largest institutions to build their future on. Go to coda.net to learn more. All right Colin, the first story this week it's got to be the crypto bloodbath I, I took this one from Business Insider but everything is down 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 um, what's going on what what's what's the what do we think's driving this is it just
1: well it's it's been funny because I, I talked to some people and last week on the show when when I, I called out a lot of things for being pump and dump hey, you know if they were this is this is the second part of that we watched pump 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 for the last uh, six twelve months and, and depending on which currency you're looking at. Um, we seem to be on the other side of that. So, um, big news, uh, big news, big rumors coming out of China that, um, they want to ban it again. Um, if we, if we learn from the past, every time China says ban Bitcoin, um, it's generally been a good time to look at the other end of that trade because uh, it's often over overstated. Um, it, there's... There are lots of worries about the centralized exchanges. Um, several months ago, we, we covered the fact that um, the PBOC, or the People's Bank of China, was looking at the particular risks that people were taking out. A lot of that's been pulled back. They assured the, the people working in Bitcoin that they weren't going to get involved in uh, miners. Uh, there have been some talks about that in the, the regional government levels within China. Um, this is just kind of a continuation of what we had already heard. Um, I think that... Uh, if this is, and it's hard to say what, what the actual movements really mean, but if this is a reaction to um, one of the vice governors saying this may happen, um, but it's not yet policy, um, we'll see whether it uh, actually goes in or
0: if it, this is just an overstatement of people um, with weak, very weak hands trying to get out. Yeah, it's hard to tell what's what's FUD and what's real here. So the news comes via Reuters, who are a very reputable um, news agency, citing an internal memo from the People's Bank of China. Um, and it's not yet clear if it's going to be when or if it will become um, policy. It, it, it does sort of uh, follow some things that did become reality. So, of course, yeah, uh, we mentioned in September, uh, the Chinese regulators banned initial coin offerings or ICOs. Um, and then they also required domestic exchanges to suspend Spend crypto to regular fiat currency order book trading services. Um, So the exchanges there have shifted their focus to uh, OTC in other words, market making Bitcoin um, and focusing on institutional uh, crypto traders um, and overseas crypto trading, uh, which is still available to residents in China. um, But they're now looking to close down that as well. And we'd heard in recent weeks that they're looking to close down miners. Um, Given that there's still quite a bit of trading activity coming out of China, you can see why this has changed the mood music to a certain degree. Um, And we've seen similar news out of South Korea. I was speaking to uh, somebody who's, who's kind of deep in the industry just before christmas uh, and i think it's been no surprise a lot of people f- have been saying for some time winter is coming uh, i like that phrase because not just because of the game of thrones reference but also because it was true seasonally uh but i guess uh are we in winter colin uh, is this is this the end of the party is it time to switch off the lights
1: um i i think it's um very hard to predict markets and it's very hard to predict the future um i'm I I think that the the amount of of the market that's really coming out of China is probably overstated South Korea is Um, as we've heard from lots of places, a very big market, there's been lots of confusion over whether, uh, the ministry of justice, which raided some of the exchanges over the last couple of weeks, um, and the, the official policy coming out of the executive branch are in agreement. Um, my understanding is that was slapped down. I think end of the day, um, there are a lot of concerns and those are coming to roost and there's, there's a lot of new people that got in at very high levels. Um, perhaps significantly higher than where we are today. And they may be hurting and this may burn their their first time into cryptocurrencies. And as a result, um, that may give us um, a prolonged winter here um, if people decide that um, they lost too much money and they don't want to play
0: the game again, so in the 2018 predictions post that I've we've talked about probably every uh, week since I did it, I count I pointed out regulatory risk as probably being one of the key risks. Uh, but it seems to me like a, a lot of that is actually on the industry itself to figure out how do we self-regulate, how do you do sensible things, uh, because there seems to be this split in the community of kind of like we don't want any regulation whatsoever. If decentralization works, then screw demand, screw regulators, screw money, we don't need banks where we're going. Uh, and then on the other side, you've got the reality of actually, if, if the hype bubble disappears and there are still no fundamentals in the market then these prices aren't sustainable and can't be supported so um, interesting do we, do you think then Colin that we see a bit more productivity out of enterprise DLT this year I know a lot of people um, kind of poo-poo that and some of our listeners aren't, aren't necessarily big fans of it but um, we have some some background in that and maybe that's where the on-off ramp starts to, to make sense with some of the permissionless to the permissioned world
1: um, I, I think it's something that um, well we talked about in, in that blog post you were referring to we talked about it a bit at the end of last year um, i think regardless of the price of cryptocurrency uh, 2018 is is going to be a positive year for enterprise dlt or at least let's say a watershed moment uh, positively or negatively where we know and we have some early indications from places like digital asset that um, some of the things are gonna to start to rear their heads in 2018 into 2019. Let's remember that we're in. We're talking about enterprise. Um, it, it's not the same you know, jump up, jump down 40, 50% in a day that cryptocurrencies are. Um, corporate procurement cycles do take a bit longer, um, but I think this is where the seeds that we were sowing in 2015, 2016 start to sprout. So um, I, I am very bullish on enterprise DLT in, in the next year or
0: two years interesting perspective I uh, want to listen out for um, I've often been of the view that uh, neither side is right um, both of them have uh, something that's uh, that's valuable and uh, I, I wish them both sides of the permissioned permissionless divide uh, every success um, but there are still some balls in the permissionless world so uh, Michael Novogratz um, as reported on Bitcoin.com uh, has made a 400 million dollar bet to form a giant crypto Merchant bank. So, um, what's going on with this one, Colin? Who's, who's Mike Novogratz, and uh, and what's what's a merchant bank, and and why do we need a crypto one?
1: Okay, so this this is actually, I think, a really interesting story, and this this kind of takes your, your previous comment of um, you've got the permission world of um, let's say common enterprise and, and banks, and the per- permissionless world. Um, Mike Novogratz, who is um, a hedge fund uh, portfolio manager billionaire investor uh, who's done very well for himself, uh, got into Bitcoin, Ethereum quite early, um, said, look, I want to take what works inside of investment banking, merchant banking. Basically, if I, if I am doing something within the cryptocurrency space, I will need access to the traditional banking markets. Um, how do I raise money? How do I manage my payrolls? Uh, how do I pay my suppliers and everything in between? Um, and he said, well, I want to set this up as a service specifically aimed at those types of companies. Um, so if you believe the, the hype that Bitcoin, Ethereum, the other cryptocurrencies are going to become um, assets and, and going to produce the next Googles and Apples of the world, um, uh, offering banking service to the to those types of companies is something that potentially um, is very profitable in, in the more traditional world. So um, right now, under the guise of all these banks turning off all the accounts for these guys, Mike said, hey, well, let me try to go and offer these services to those specific people. Uh, Make sure they have everything you'd ever need so you can pay your employees and you can get on with business. Um, I think it's a really interesting bet. uh, And I think if it's something that he's able to pull off, Uh, which is still an if because of some of the back ends of banking, it would be fantastic to see uh, a lot of these businesses say, well, I don't have to worry about that. That's now a fait accompli. And I can move on and and do my business, offer exchange services, offer everything else that I ever wanted to offer. And uh, as a business, I have a bank I can go to, to to be a
0: partner in that. Uh, it's a super interesting bet, as you say, and, and super interesting perspective because it almost creates a parallel world in which there's the banks and the banking system and crypto and this crypto bank almost. Um, and we've obviously seen projects like Bankera who, that come at it from a different perspective, where they're trying to be um, a retail, f- uh, consumer faced, facing bank on, uh, on on Ethereum and launching their own tokens. But it does seem like uh, we, we've seen with fintech for some time people launching challenges. But this is this is one heck of a the, um, Heck of a, a big dollar amount to, to be betting, so I guess that's um, definitely a, a bullish sentiment coming from him. But you know, can he sustain it as uh, as the markets look like they're correcting? It'd be interesting to watch for, for sure as we look to move towards uh, sustainable crypto asset markets. Um, and, and some of the um, mood music in the market is, is all over the place. There's definitely some volatility. There was a, a story from TechCrunch where Vitalik Buterin has actually left VC firm Fenbushi Capital. Um, it's the sort of thing that looks like a big exit but actually is there a there there is this that significant colin
1: Uh, this it's just people watching i guess um yeah i think most people were quite aware that vitalik is had a lot of fingers and lots of pies. He, he, being the co-founder um, and kind of lead of the Ethereum Foundation, um, the, the fact that he's involved in any project uh, was bullish, particularly in 2015, 2016, 2017. I think Fenbushi put him in as a, as a partner. He may have invested his own funds in there. He may not have. I have no idea. Um, but they did they did put it out there as a, a positive sign. And he's come and said, well, I'm still going to work with them as an advisor, um, but I'm going to devote less time to it. which. Is probably a positive thing for the um, the greater ecosystem that he's not favoring one fund as much uh, because it does open the idea that um, there is an Ethereum without Vitalik, which personally I think is a positive development. Um, while he'll still be very involved in the foundation and many other projects that he's involved in. Uh,
0: Vitalik is somebody I've always had a lot of admiration for, for his intellectual honesty. Um, So we we covered before that on December the 13th, he talked about, um, have we earned market cap? Um, And also on 27th of December, um, he's sort of saying, we need to differentiate between getting hundreds of billions of dollars of paper wealth and actually delivering something meaningful for society that everything's become about memes and immature puns Um, and he's he's, sort of more or less threatening to rage quit and leave Um, but there's beneath the scenes there's Plasma.io, there's Sharding and Casper and the Raiden network there's some serious heavy engineering remarkably ambitious stuff happening in the Ethereum community and the Web 3.0 space that's probably not as, uh, not getting as much focus because we're all obsessed with with um new all-time highs and uh new decentralized exchanges and, and whatnot moon lambos <laughs> we're all obsessed with moon lambos um so it talks about the mood music when i think some key names are, are saying that sort of thing uh the next story was from uh hacker noon uh where it claimed that the tron uh so tron i think was uh, uh one of these many coin projects that had come out of the um the uh chinese market and, and it was pretty much um an ipfs file coin clone um looking to do a whole bunch of interesting stuff um there were lots of um analyses on this uh on, on this blog post where it's saying there were very little references um there very there are obvious examples of where things have been copied or things were, were somewhat basic um and it's a bit of a breakdown uh of that now the the guys at tron had come out and said no 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 this was all due to translation issues and um in in china it's quite common for us to uh to reference other material without necessarily putting the link and we have definitely taken inspiration for these things trying to mitigate it um but the i think it's probably more symptomatic of these copy and paste coins as people are calling them where you can sort of more or less copy and paste bits of other people's white papers cobble together a reasonable sounding idea and launch a coin and uh, you're off to the moon with your lambo
1: yeah uh, off to the moon with your lambo i, I mean uh, look this is the fact that they raised 14 billion even if it was an entirely original paper for what is it 47 pages um whether it's plagiarized or not in in several different languages. Uh, I think we all have to admit without a product, without any revenues is a lot of money. Um, And whether it's cryptocurrencies or not, it's $14 billion. Um, So I I hope this is all able to be chalked up to a misunderstanding. But uh, uh, that's a lot of money. Um, That's that's kind of all I have to say about that.
0: Which comes back to Vitalik's point from the previous story, which is, you know, how much is real, how much has really been done. And it's very hard to get any transparency on this stuff. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hearsay. There's a lot of telegram groups, uh, but there's, there's not a lot that's um, that's really for sure. Um, so I, that's actually reminded me of um, the next story I wanted to cover, which was uh, one on um QZ or QZ.com, where Telegram, the chat app, which is famous for being uh, quite a privacy-aware, secure chat application favored by the the Snowden types and people who care about their privacy, but also, of course, favored by pump-and-dump groups. Um, Telegram, uh, a chat application with, what, nearly 200 million users, so they're reasonable size, Uh, they're apparently going to raise $620 million to fund um, buildings, developers, and consultants so you know call me guys <laughs> um,
1: yeah, yeah talking about big numbers um, I mean they, they talked about 600 million there's up to 1.2 billion in here um, I, I think this is um, Silicon Valley really getting ahead of itself people love the idea of um, being able to raise money without giving anybody anything in return except for maybe some tote bags or something um, or little tokens that they can pump on on telegram groups um, I think it uh, where this really all comes down to is um, there's still a massive demand for people to raise money and there's still a massive appetite to throw money at projects. And it, if you're throwing money at something that you've never heard of the people behind and some one of your friends said, this is gonna be the next Bitcoin. And it's something you have heard of like Telegram comes along. Uh, That's going to attract people. Um, So whether this is able to come off, uh, whether this gets scrapped completely or goes to a more traditional financing source, I have to kind of wonder whether um, giving a company that much money without uh, the guidance of uh, professional investors is a positive thing. I mean, we can argue this all day long, whether it is or it isn't, Um, but it is a, a big departure from going the VC route. And I think in a lot of instances where companies have taken the ICO route, it hasn't necessarily been for the more, more altruistic reasons.
0: It's interesting to me that uh, an analyst at Pantera Capital, who are probably one of the most bullish firms that have gone into both cryptocurrencies, crypto assets, crypto commodities, and you know, every token that, that had, uh, had some element of, of promise to it have one of their analysts has come out and called this uh because the coin of course is uh, t-o-n um so ton coin they've called it 600 million tons of crap um and they which i thought was a very catchy um, blog post well done um and they cite a lack of technical detail in the offering documents a reliance on unproven technologies and the restricted circulation of any technical white paper he also talks about um you know look, the the app itself isn't as secure as signal which any, so anybody who's serious about privacy would, would choose to use um, and, it, and it says it's pretty much incompatible with blockchain technology arguing that this is a, just, a, just a money grab and actually that's the sort of behavior we want to stop if you are looking to build a new business model um, and you know, securitize uh, did natively digital assets or digital securities like file storage in a decentralized manner, that might be different to we're a centralized company and we just want to grab some revenue and here's a tote bike,
1: absolutely (laughs) um great blog post though by the by the way to everybody do go have a look at uh, pantera's blog post about this if you are interested even in just learning more about it um, and and not talking about the the investment side
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, I I remain to be surprised by this one. I would love to be surprised. I think we do need bigger companies using ICOs for legitimate reasons. I want to see a lot more legitimate ICOs. I see real promise in the idea of offering token sales, of crowdfunding and giving people um, a share in growth, a share in uh, growing a company. I think it's very hard for um, the Silicon Valley story that was um, five people or 20 people really benefit from these unicorns that are built in in silicon valley um it meant that uh, you know most people missed out on the growth in the economy to to turn that round could be really good for society um it could create new business models and i think there's a whole bunch of opportunities um for uh, financial services companies to be offering new types of products on the back of it it's just um we've got to stop um got to stop doing either copy and paste coins or things that uh, look like they look like they're not working all right so um next story um One from Coindesk, Kraken is back, um, which is a return of the Kraken, um, return of the Mac, anyone remembers that song? Um, Kraken is back after a troublesome upgrade. So Kraken being the world's fifth largest uh, exchange had some problems upgrading, Colin.
1: The world's fifth largest, I think the biggest serving the, the euro market, so certainly a very big one out here in our markets. Um, so Kraken had, had. if anybody's used this or listened to us talk about it, Kraken's had um, some issues for several months now, eventually kind of um, resulting in uh, complete un- unusability of their website and of their services. Um, really important to know about Kraken. Kraken is one of the four exchanges that underpins the CME's Bitcoin Futures, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So a a proper regulated exchange that trades uh, Bitcoin futures um, uses Kraken's prices to to help value that. Um, In addition, Bloomberg, the Bloomberg terminals that you always see in movies about traders, um, the Bitcoin feeds come from Kraken. Um, So this is very much within the infrastructure that is Bitcoin facing the traditional markets. Um, Said Okay, our website was unusable. We're gonna we're gonna launch an upgrade. It was postponed from m- mid November, probably earlier um, December, all the way into January. When they finally did update it, it took s- something like three days to actually come back online. When it was originally supposed to be several hours, maybe maybe up to twelve hours, uh, it took s- many times that. Uh, lots of people were worried that maybe they took off with the money. Um, there were some updates that came out that people pointed out were not professional. Personally, I thought they were kind of funny um, because they they showed the humanity and um, the fact that They had a social media intern that kind of made jokes before. Um, But as you could imagine, people do have real money in these things and they were worried about it being lost, uh, especially when you see rumors on Reddit coming out about uh, potentially being Mt. Gox or while there was an upgrade, maybe people were stealing it. It looks like everything's come out without a hitch. um, So that's fantastic. Um, But there are definitely a lot of people who maybe wanted to buy or sell a position uh, where they had money in Kraken and didn't expect it to be in there quite so long and locked up so um it's good to see it's back on um it is one of those things you worry about if you're running a centralized exchange that when you need to upgrade these things it's like doing open heart surgery in the back back of a ferrari or a moon lambo if you wish uh driving down the road and um this is just one of the unfortunate things that does happen uh leaving your money in exchange is always a risk and maybe more of a risk than you necessarily want to take on
0: it's interesting, after that 36 hours, all orders that you had in place had been cancelled. So there, there's a lot can happen in a 24-hour market over 36 hours. Uh, and so some people were, were quite annoyed about that. Um, but on the flip side, uh, Kraken have sort of... Waived all their fees, trading fees, until I think the 31st of January, um, and they're trying to do a lot of things to sweeten it. And from from what I can tell and what people are telling me, it is actually finally performing. It was a bit of a uh, bit of a running joke that Kraken just was never up and never worked. So, um, and I think this speaks to the macro theme of one of the major systemic exchanges in the crypto assets markets. Uh, the the maturity of the infrastructure was was quite weak, um, and it's almost ironic that as the market appears to be taking. A bit of a correction and possibly losing some of its momentum. Actually, we're finally getting around to, to, to fixing the walls. Um, and does this mean then that we we bring in um, decentralized exchanges? I know that's been a very hot topic in in the past couple of weeks, as we've seen um, waves and, and and a whole bunch of others come out of the woodwork as being. I think it was Radar Delay that we talked about last week, starting to gain volume. And uh, Bitshares, of course, has been around for some time. Are, are these things going to be uh, real, or are they are they looking like they'll just have all the same problems?
1: Uh, I think they will have all kinds of new problems, personally. I've done a lot of work on on these things and and running tests. Um, The fact of the matter is um, when you run an order book, when you run the back end of how an exchange actually works, um, the speed of light is very important. And if you're sending messages between London and Sydney and then London and Los Angeles, you're always going to be slower than me sending a message at the speed of light between Mayfair and the city. Um, And at the end of the day running these on the back of um, an Ethereum or even a 0x type of thing will always lose um, because people will always find a way to go faster than you. So I I don't see decentralized solutions as as a solution to any of this. Now, that's not to say that they don't offer uh, benefits in doing something called a, a non-custodial exchange. That means essentially where the exchange doesn't hold your money, either your cryptocurrency or your fiat. Um, and I think that's kind of be the the next trend that we start to see in exchanges. Where um, in this instance, if Kraken had gone down, you go, well, that's unfortunate. I liked Kraken, but I'm going to use Coinbase because I'm signed up with them anyways, and because I don't have to transfer money, it's sitting in a third party. I can just go and sign up and start using them uh, relatively quickly. So I think that's a more promising trend and potentially offers a lot fewer risks than uh, where we stand right now with the likes of a Kraken turning off for a few hours or a few days, um, but doesn't have the
0: drawbacks that a decentralized exchange has. And I won't even get into the things like EtherDelta where they do get hacked themselves. <laughs> so what about some of the more centralized exchanges? We took uh, There's a one here from uh, Digital Alchemy Holdings on Medium. Um, so do look out for digital alchemy holdings if you want to check out the story and the story is about binance um the fastest profitable unicorn in history colin is is the uh title and uh, after 143 days of launching binance is now apparently one of the top three cryptocurrency exchanges that is pretty rapid
1: yeah i i the the thing i really like about binance uh in this story here is people always talk about cryptocurrencies don't deliver any value they're just speculative um At the end of the day, whether they're speculative or not, there's infrastructure here. Uh, Binance is a piece of those infrastructures, as are Kraken and Coinbase and many of these other exchanges. Um, And they've created actual value. And now Binance is is rated as a very large billion-dollar-plus company um, because they built a product that people like and they pay to use. Um, and not only do they pay funny crypto money or money into something that hopefully somebody else will buy, they're paying revenues to these companies in in dollars as well as in cryptocurrencies. So, um, fantastic work to the team over there
0: at Binance. Um, to the moon <laughs> uh, to the moon indeed god bless them um so uh if you've been curious about uh any of the uh, decentralized exchanges you're probably also curious about neo uh, the, neo is the so-called ethereum of china and they're holding their first ever developer conference in san francisco at the intercontinental hotel on the 30th and the 31st of january uh the first 50 listeners of blockchain insider can now get an exclusive 30 percent discount so 15 percent was what we had before all of the went Uh, so get these quickly they will go very very quickly Uh, so a 30 percent discount uh, on tickets by entering the code inside that's i-n-s-i-d-e you go to devcon.neo.org to find out more about the event and register that's devcon.neo.org all right, um, Colin, stories we didn't have time to cover. I'm going to briefly glance over this first one, though. There's a story from Wired, Six Ways to Regulate Cryptocurrency uh, Without Killing It, which, um, which I think is um, a great title. Well done to uh, the folks at Wired who wrote this. So this was Roland Manthorpe and Akram Hussein. Uh, so clear up the tax situation is number one. Um, and I guess, yes, there's there's a mess of different tax approaches globally. Regulate exchanges, um, which I think this is an argument for uh, some of the better regulation they've seen uh, internationally. Um, they say that... Um, And this seems to be a very UK-centric argument. Um, They've seen some good examples in Japan, um, and they've seen good examples in Singapore of how you can do this. So um, clear up the tax situation, regulate exchanges, um, create a framework for ICOs, which I think... I completely agree with um, there's, there's definitely best practice initiatives out there and hopefully we can bring a lot of those together and, uh, and land them on the right desks in the near future let exchanges manage ICOs um, establish a working group of blockchain experts uh, economists and policy wonks um, and um, don't innovate yourself uh, which I think um, number five I'm actually working on so um, you know if you're out there and you want to get involved um, do reach out to um, podcasts at 11fs.com Um, Colin, do you have any thoughts on this one?
1: No, I I think this is actually a really, uh, really good article, although I don't necessarily agree with all the points inside of it. I think um, it is very sensible. Um, It's good to let innovators innovate. It's also good to manage risk where they exist. Um, And and I will go back and double because I don't think you're saying it loud enough. But um, things like people going out uh, of their own fruition and saying, This is something I support. I want to make sure it's in the ears of the right people so they can make uh, proper decisions about regulation, like what you're doing specifically within ICO frameworks, I think is is commendable. Um, And definitely people that are interested or have experience in policies and regulations or in raising money in the public markets,
0: definitely reach out and get in touch with Simon. Thank you, Colin. Um, So stories we didn't have time for, of course, as well. Um, Some Mississippi doctors sued Mt. Gox for a Bitcoin loss now worth $135 million. We live in crazy times. Uh, Another one on Coindesk, the South Korean cryptocurrency investors face fines for anonymous accounts, which um, could be interesting to see if those fines start getting delivered. Um, Story from The Verge, Japan has a new cryptocurrency-themed J-pop band. This I have to see. Uh, If you haven't check this out do uh, it's probably my second most entertaining story of the week but number one um from kfc on their facebook in canada you can now get a finger-licking good bitcoin bucket how about that
1: you and i were having a chat about canada canada always delivers on the fast food am i wrong
0: uh yeah, actually, I'm I'm gonna go with yeah, yeah, they do. Um that Canada always delivers in so many ways. Don't blame Canada, and blame everything else. Uh don't forget, listeners, if you like any of the stories we've covered, get in touch at B Chain Insider on Twitter or at Colin G Platt or at SY Taylor. Um any of the stories we've covered, we also put on fintechinsidernews.com. So fintechinsidernews.com is a great place for you to leave some comments or to submit stories that we might not have covered that you think we should. Or you can drop us an email podcasts at 11fs.com. 11FS uh, who bring you this podcast Uh, we help uh, anybody who wants to get into the crypto asset market or from uh, getting to DLT achieve more so if you want to understand um, or how how you can commercialize a blockchain project uh, when they're going to be real or just have a speaker for your next event please do get in touch that's podcasts at 11FS.com all right now for the first of our interviews I caught up with Ryan Shea the co-founder of Blockstack. We are here and I have the good fortune of being joined by Ryan from Blockstack. Ryan, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for joining us. Um, so Ryan, uh, you've been in the whole uh, blockchain space, I guess, for a couple of years. But before we get into uh, what Blockstack does, uh, could you just tell me a little bit about your own background and uh, how you how you got into the space in the first place?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: So um I, uh, yeah, I've always been interested in, in startups and technology since I was pretty young, and uh, throughout college I was, um, I was going to Princeton, and uh, I was experimenting with a few different uh, startups and products, and um, I was also running the Princeton Entrepreneurship Club. And that's uh, actually at Princeton where I met my current co-founder, Manip. And he was um, studying, uh, he was doing his PhD in distributed systems there. And uh, we both uh, had paths that led us to New York. And um, soon after, uh, we met up and um, kind of started talking and actually decided to start a company together. Uh, And a little, you know, a few months in, we were getting pretty interested in in Bitcoin. And um, at the time, uh, like the just the concept of decentralization started uh, really getting really interesting to us.
0: I was going to say, that's a pretty interesting story of the genesis being from way back in your your college days and uh, the concept of decentralization being interesting. Um, But moving on to Blockstack itself, um, give me the 101 on Blockstack. Like, what
3: is it? Yeah, for sure. So we are building this new internet for decentralized applications. And our goal is to really reshape the internet as we know it and say, what if we started from scratch? And what if we rethought the relationship between each of us and our software and think about how we could communicate directly with one another without relying upon central, very enormous central parties. And so what that means is that if Blockstack is successful, then you'll see the equivalence, you'll see the next social network, the next Facebook built in a decentralized way on top of Blockstack. You'll see the next Chat application, the next Airbnb, the next Uber, the next Craigslist, the next Wikipedia, the next Spotify, built on Blockstack, in a way that it's so
0: you guys are live, right? You you have real code out there. It's running. It's available today. So, what kind of stuff have people done using your stack? And and, and what have and what have you guys done with it?
3: Yeah. So we have uh, Blockstack's all about apps. We have uh, we actually do these uh, bounties where we give out we give out prizes to people to build certain applications that uh, we think would be very valuable for the community. And the first one that we did was a uh, crypto portfolio manager application. So think you put in how much Bitcoin you own, how much Ethereum you own uh, and all the other tokens, and then you can track your portfolio's performance over time. And we put out a bounty for that. We got 15 applications listed in the app store around this bounty. And, a couple of the notable ones um, are Cryptogon and Coins, and you can go check them out. Uh, you can download the Blockstack browser and, and try them. And, and the really cool thing about this is that with these applications, it's connecting to your own private storage, and it's using an identity that you created and that you control. So it's really something that where you have that you have a level of privacy and you have a level of control over the data. That you just never had before,
0: and, and separate that out for me because, um, and draw the contrast with the regular internet. Because I guess you're always um, browsing with the data going to some centralized server somewhere else, and cookies being dropped on your device. But so, so,
3: separate those two for me, a bit. For sure, yeah. So think about this: like, let's say you have good amount of Ethereum, right? And you're concerned about anyone knowing that you have that Ethereum, right? Because maybe your safety is at risk. Maybe you know we, people. Uh, are getting um, are, get, are getting mugged or, or really targeted for um, cryptocurrency holdings. And you don't even want a company to know that you own that because let's say that their database gets hacked, right? So if you're using a cryptocurrency portfolio tracker and you put in the number of Bitcoin that you have, you put in the number of Ethereum that you have, that's in some database somewhere that will be accessed by everyone in the dark market if that database gets hacked,
0: right? And I think this is a reality that a lot of people haven't dealt with in uh, the kind of... uh, regular old world of, of engineering that, but they're coming up against it and they're calling it cybersecurity so look at Equifax uh, and look at Target look at Sony look at all of these uh, these things that have happened um, so really the paradigm you're describing works as well for an investor who has a lot of Ethereum as it does for a person whose data could be at Equifax exactly. for instance and and
3: we need to we need to move to a system where we're no longer reliant upon things like social security numbers and that data that Equifax actually uses um, so we kind of need to rethink um, identity in society in our countries in order for that to to get better.
0: But that's pretty radical and pretty scary. So you know, does that just mean the end of the nation state or is that something actually just a lot more pragmatic and tangible?
3: I wouldn't say it means the end of the nation state. Um, I mean there, there, there's definitely there's definitely possibilities for that uh, in the future. I think like you think sovereign individual thesis. I think it's it's very likely that a lot of the most powerful nations in the future will, be highly digitized. So I think we're seeing some some indications of this with Estonia, for example. Um, you know, Estonia sees itself as being able to be competitive for government services globally by virtue of the fact that it can digitize itself. And you, can be, you can think of it as a similar t- uh, strategy as what Delaware does in the United States with allowing, um, allowing any company to incorporate uh, easily with a very... Um, Consistent case history, right? And so I think that nations will be forced to move into uh, the digital age um, securely, or else they will be left behind. You know, if if you have all these like broken legacy system systems, like the social security number, like driver's licenses and passports, etc., those things will be broken. Um, it will be extremely easy for hackers to wreak havoc, especially as more and more of our services go online into the digital world. So um, we really need something that will work there. and, And governments need to be thinking about this very, very carefully.
0: And I worry about things like Adar in India and um, Chinese equivalents um, for very centralized databases, not just because of individual privacy, but also because of um, the risk of those systems being hacked. Uh, it's one thing to hack a 20th century artifact, it's another thing to hack a 21st century centralized artifact um, with h- hundreds of millions of people's data in it. Um, and, you know, LinkedIn and, and Equifax and others are, are the start of that, but not the end of it. We've seen now Swift um, uh, end nodes being hacked. This could, could get really nasty before it gets good. Um, so pick me a vision for developers and engineers because I speak to a lot of engineers who say the only thing I need uh, decentralization for is for a governance issue. It's only when I want to get rid of centralized entities, um, which I guess um, you wouldn't disagree with, but there's 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 probably a bit more to it than just, just that one level. Like, if I'm an engineer, why would I choose the, the block stack
3: stack? For sure. I would say, like, decentralization is a goal only because of the derivative qualities that you get as a result of decentralization? Um, it's like you know, decentralization is somewhat abstract, right? Same, similar to freedom, right? You know, we we people may love freedom, but it's it's really what you get as a result of freedom that is that you that you experience and feel on a day to day basis, right? You get the fact that you have consumer choice. You get the fact that you have a government that's not oppressing you. You get the fact that, um, you know, you, that there's a lot of evidence that there's increased prosperity as a result of freedom. You know, all of these things, in mean, security security, right? So your life is better because you have freedom. And then the same thing <clears throat> applies to decentralization, where if you have decentralization, then you have increased competition. And because you have increased competition, you get greater quality in software, you get more consumer choice. You get more people employed um, and more businesses created. You get a situation where there isn't the ability for a single company to control. You don't have a situation where one company can censor things or say what or really like control the conversation, rank, uprank or derank things, right? You get something where there's increased uh, capability for privacy, uh, right, you don't have all of the data flowing through a single corporation that becomes this data silo that's just waiting to be breached, right? So you get all of these other derivative qualities, and you also get like increased compa- capability for globalization and just really any any business to be able to jump in, and that can't be overstated. So if we think about it that way, then it, there's a really strong imperative for our applications to be built in a decentralized way, and sometimes. It's hard for an individual developer to make that decision, but there's a lot of cases where the developer has like a strong competitive advantage by doing that, by building in a decentralized way. Maybe um, you, can, you have certain customers that depend on access because they're getting censored, and so you can build an app for them. Maybe you have an application where um, it's really important for communications to be private. Maybe you have an application where you're able to out-innovate competitors because you're decoupling the UI layer from the data layer. So that's the, the, those are a lot of the like common reasons, um, really strong reasons that, that that we can see. And and I would say like another one actually is the new capabilities in terms of uh, funding and business models that emerge when you do something in a decentralized way on the blockchain, right? The like tokenization, the ability of of taking a community of people all around the world and allowing them to come together and really self organize without any single company being required to to employ them. I think that's that, that's a really fascinating thing, and I think the the greatest revolution that's that's that we're experiencing and witnessing right now in this entire decentralization movement is the ability to is is the the explosion of possibilities around humans self organizing. We're going to see some really really um, at first strange and exciting things. Uh, that, will, uh, that we didn't even think about, um, very, very hard to imagine that will emerge.
0: That's really cool. So there's um, a non executive director that uh, is working with 11FS. Uh, named Lisa Gansky and she talked about uh, early on the um, social operating system and the mesh. So the mesh was the beginning of the um, kind of what we now call the uh, sharing economy. But the sharing economy was built around centralized entities whereas actually the social operating system hasn't been upgraded yet and the social operating system needed a business model for sharing value and transacting at distance and for knowing who I was dealing with and managing privacy. Uh, So the model used to be we trusted somebody, some intermediary, but now maybe technology is allowing a change to that, which is a which is a macro multi decade change, but it's one that that could become really significant. So you mentioned tokenization. Uh, you guys actually did um, a token generation event. Can you tell us a little bit
3: about uh, how that went um, and and what you've done since? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, Blockstack we've been operating for um, for years in the blockchain. We have our, our decentralized domain name system, and we have a browser that's built on top. And uh, we took a lot of our experience over the years um, and we went and we built uh, a, um, we went on and we actually launched, did a token sale uh, around the platform and really doing this so that we can take Blockstack to the next level and enable uh, a new wave of tokens built on top of Blockstack um enable all this new functionality for decentralized apps and, uh, we went out, we were one of the, uh, larger token sales, um, of the year raised, uh, over $50 million, um, for, uh, for block stack, uh, development and, uh, the growth of the community. And, uh, what we did was we focused it, uh, on, we, we opened it up to accredited investors, uh, to be able to purchase tokens. And then also we did a, a, um, a voucher giveaway to non-accredited investors and, uh, we were really concerned. Really, it was important for us to focus on making sure that we do this in a completely compliant way, um, and also to make sure that we give people as much access to the token as possible. You know, other things that we really focused on are making sure that there is a really wide distribution. Um, that it's it's a it's a we're able to get um, as many people into the community into the fold as possible because I really think that with tokens that end up are going to be the most successful over the long term <clears throat> they're going to have as wide of a distribution as possible they're going to have as many people as possible who um, are bought into the to the system and so I, th- I would say like I think we came out with a report we did a look back on the token sale and we really talked about, um, our legal structure and our, our token distribution structure, and how we believe that we're pushing things forward and really setting a standard for um, how token sales should be done.
0: And and I, I got to say, um, when I speak to people in the industry, they do often point to you guys as a as a benchmark. One, it, it, there was a sensible amount raised. You didn't go stupid with it. It was uh, akin to a decent sized um, series C round um, which is probably um, where you guys are at you're looking to scale an organization that already had working code and users and um, there's, there's definitely um, an element where there's code there. There's a real product. There's entrepreneurs with a track record, um, but there's also a mixture of uh, kind of really good fiduciary responsibility in terms of if I'm going to involve consumers, I'm going to make sure I understand what that consumer has been given and that, that that is really clear to them and to us. Um, but also that I'm, when I'm working with larger investors, that it's an incre- accredited investor and it follows the appropriate frameworks for, for doing so. Um, so I, I think um, last but not least, before I let you go. Um, where can people find out more about Blockstack and what you guys are doing, get their hands on the code and, uh, uh, and, and find out more?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to blockstack.org. Uh, you can read about Blockstack. We have some great content there. Uh, and I would just really encourage you to try out the tutorials and build your first Blockstack app. Uh, I think it'll really um, turn on some light bulbs for you to see what a decentralized app looks like. Um, and, then, and then play around with the apps in the browser, in the Blockstack browser, and, uh, and download
0: it. You can't be told what the matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. I think there's something to that. Um, so uh, the, I love that you threw away the comment, um, we built decentralized DNS, which has been running for a little while. I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a statement. But uh, that's for the next interview. Uh, Ryan, thank you very much for being on Blockchain Insider. Great. Thank you, Simon. All right, thank you very much to the first of our Ryan's. Next up was Mr. Ryan Selkis, and after all of the hype and articles around Ripple and XRP in the recent weeks, uh, both G Sass, uh, Colin, uh Colin G Platt, um, and myself, we both spoke to Ryan Selkis. He's he's in a Starbucks. He's an international man of mystery. He was uh, when we've spoken to him on the hangout. He was just a he was just a shadowy figure. So there might be some background noise. We apologise for the sound quality. Turn up your sound and enjoy this one though because i thought it was a it was a really really interesting interview great so colin and i are talking to the wonderful ryan selkis ryan thank you for being on blockchain Insider, sir. thank you for having me oh no really appreciate it could you just give us a little bit about who you are for those who um live under a rock and aren't familiar with you
2: (laughs) so uh many of the listeners might know me on twitter uh via my alter ego 2 idiot Um, But uh, my background was in venture capital. I I got into the industry in in mid-2013, started blogging about it pretty much immediately, and uh, got to know many of the executives and investors pretty quickly, given how small the industry was back then, uh, just by virtue of of the daily work I was doing. Um, That led me to join Digital Currency Group, uh, part of the founding team there with Barry Silbert. Um, I led investments for the first year, helped close our round of funding and, and recruit the core team. And then we acquired Coindesk in January of 2016, and I led the restructuring for about 18 months, uh, got the business to profitability, and, and and that team continues to do very well um, before leaving in July of this year. My new company uh, that I just started a couple months ago is called Masari. We're building an open source, Edgar-like database for the universe of crypto assets and working on a number of Self-regulatory and transparency initiatives for, for the industry, particularly around the, the cryptocurrencies and tokens themselves versus the enterprise blockchain.
0: Sounds pretty amazing. So Ryan, uh, talk to, I wanted to talk to you today about a couple of key pieces. One, you uh, did a blog post recently called I See You XRP, which I thought was an interesting title, definitely somebody who's worked in in, the, in media before. And, and the second part was probably uh, what's happening in the markets at the moment. But let's start with I See You XRP. What was the motivation for writing this, uh, this blog post and, and what were some of the kind of key pieces within it? Um, could you guide us through
2: that? So, uh, the, the motivation for writing the piece, I think, in general, there's a real lack of in-depth information about most of the assets that are trading today. Um, I think there's people that are doing good work. I think that there are, you know, smart investors, uh, you know, funding projects throughout the ecosystem. But when it comes to much of what's getting traded, you, you see kind of a daily risk on, risk off. Um, type of trading cycle across the entire asset class and in fact in, in the last month or so you've seen uh, tokens that are uh, trading below one dollar nominal uh, outperform those that are trading between one and ten and the, you've seen those outperform uh, other tokens that are per- trading between 10 and 100 and and so on and so forth um, and that kind of screams a level of unsophistication uh, across the universe of, of investors that are piling into the asset class right now
1: right on that on that point if I can just just into that. that. That's something, just playing devil's advocate, that we see in established equity markets to a certain extent. We heard a lot about um, penny stocks in the United States or uh, small cap markets as well, um, relatively outperforming other other stocks based on things that are really um, not core to the, the actual business.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think it's unique to crypto. I think it's it's certainly um, a much bigger problem in, in, in crypto than it is in the... Uh, and the broader equity markets, um, and if you just look at, at some of the projects that you know where, where they're trading and based on the, the traction that they have or lack thereof, um, it, it kind of screams uh, that this is you know, bubble territory and, and the people that are piling in right now uh, are just you know, playing in the crypto casino. They're not investing. They don't know about the project. They don't care about the projects. Uh, they just see the returns and, and they want to pile in quickly. Um, and, and so you know, going back to the post, uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to go deep on, on XRP and, and, and Ripple, the company, is because I actually think that they're working on one of the most interesting projects uh, in the broader Category, um, you know the fact that their software could potentially disrupt Swift or or facilitate faster, cheaper cross-border payments. That's a real interesting, you know, killer use case uh, of, of you know, blockchain technology, and then maybe specifically um, with with XRP, the cryptocurrency. The issue is everybody uh, that knows better understands that the pitch to make XRP a bridge currency, uh, which is used. As part of the software that's being, you know, delivered to these banks and and money services businesses, um, it, it it's not there or even close to there yet. Ripple only has one pilot program going right now uh, with a customer that's actually using XRP, and they just announced the intention to uh, pilot a program with MoneyGram. But what you don't hear about is how much XRP is actually used um in those pilot programs. And and I, I would venture to guess based on just the, the very small number of companies that are currently using it and the early stage of those pilots, uh, it is a, a near negligible amount of XRP that's being used. Where on the other hand you have uh hundreds of billion uh, uh over a hundred billion dollars into the hundreds of billions of dollars of implied market cap. Um that, uh, that this asset is, has, you know, kind of bubbled up to, and, and in fact, if you look at fully diluted uh, market cap, it, it surpassed Bitcoin at one point um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I think the the issue there is the the unsophisticated, you know, retail purchasers that are coming into the market today. They see Ripple, they hear this is going to be, you know, a well regulated bridge currency that the banks use to, you know, disintermediate the uh, the correspondent banks, and they say, you know. This is this is going to be a a, a very competitive alternative to Bitcoin, Um, whereas, uh, you know, in reality, there is a major difference between the software that the banks are using and uh, whether they're actually using the currency or or, or even intend to, to pilot the use of the currency.
0: And I think that's an interesting point. You've got the software there that can be used, um, but you've got the currency that isn't necessarily being used. But the assumption that because the software is being used, the currency is being used, therefore the price of the currency should g- increase in value because, hey, there's, there's all of these banks using it. And if all of the banks in all of the world use it, or even a percentage of that market, it should be very valuable, but things aren't as they seem. Was that kind of a core motivation for the blog post?
2: I think it was a, a definitely a core motivation. Um, you know, I do want to be careful to, uh, to, to to highlight that. I actually think that the team at Ripple has generally done a very good job with their disclosures. You know, They locked up $55 billion of the XRP earlier uh, in, in 2017 and, and, and escrowed it to only release on monthly. They've been transparent in their quarterly reports how they uh, sell XRP programmatically as a percentage of daily trading volume on the exchanges that trade it. Um, they've done a lot of things right. But the problem is, and and you can't really blame them. You know, they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot and draw too much attention to the fact that XRP is not actually being used for anything other than speculative purposes today. Um, and I think their you know lack of uh, you know communicating to investors that you know they, they should be a little bit more uh, cautious and their uh, or, or you know curb their enthusiasm for whether XRP will be adopted in mass. Um, it, it, it creates this dynamic where there's an implication almost that well we have all these banking partners and the plan is that we're going to be able to successfully execute and, and and have all of them use XRP. And they don't really do anything to um to downplay that narrative. And and I think on the contrary, um if you look at, you know, some of the media appearance appearances that Brad Garlinghouse has done um on you know the main uh the mainstream media outlets um, it it's it's they've been very vocal in, in their enthusiasm for XRP. Um, that's a very fine line, uh, and I think is is if people can appreciate the nuance um, and the difference between Ripple the pro the protocol and and the software that they're delivering, and then the ultimate use of this wannabe bridge currency. Um, then you know they'll be able to make more informed decisions. You know, of course, Colin, going back to your your earlier point, you know that uh, that assumes that anybody even cares about fundamentals in this industry, which, which is is definitely uh, an open question. Uh, and 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 you know, I would actually argue that they probably don't. Um, but uh, but but I think out of the tokens and coins in the crypto casino, XRP is perceived right now. Um to be one of the ones that does have a path to fundamental value and 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 you know could ultimately be a, a true currency
1: and and if if I can pick up, I think you said a couple of really important things there and and we talk a lot about on the show that these are very risky things and and I think casino is the best way to put it. Um, we often talk about money you take to Vegas. Um, I, I, I want to hit on the point where you're talking about um, how ripple is is, open and transparent on one angle, uh, closed on the other, and, and very much pushing this narrative that, um, and, and I'm literally reading from there, 10 things you need to know about XRP that was released on the 8th of, uh, sorry, the 6th of October, as of the, the 16th of, of January, in case it changes. Uh, it says, on number nine, XRP is the future. It's a question of when, not if banks and other financial institutions begin you need, using digital assets in their day-to-day business. And they say we are confident XRP will succeed because it has this purpose. The, the question I, I'd like to pose to you, because I think what what shocked me, and, and I, I want to say this in the best most positive way, uh, that you were the first one to really go through and look at this in a very balanced way. Uh, there's a lot of people who are saying, yes, XRP is the future. And there's a lot of people out there that I'm going to um, paint them with with a, a, a broad brush here, I haven't looked into XRP. Um, people that tend to be Bitcoiners, let's say, um, or Ethereum uh, enthusiasts who just writ- have written off XRP. You are the, the first one to kind of take a balanced approach to this, which I really appreciate. And I, I wish people had done this before it was so big um, and uh, several times since. So thank you very much for doing this. Can I ask you in, in all your research, would you say that um, it's a more uh, or if, if it's fair right now to value XRP where it is within the context of it's very hard to value any of these things? Um, has there been any disclosure where they said um, we think the value is, is low as what it could be um, given all the risks. Are there any notions of risks and are there any notions coming from the company about whether the valuation is low or high that you've seen?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, you start to get into voodoo economics and and pseudoscience to try to put an accurate price on any of these. But you know, what, what I would say, you know, would be interesting for, for Ripple, the company to do, um, or any third party analysts would, would be to take a look at if XRP was successful at, at broad scale. They talk about $21 trillion in Nostro-Vostro accounts that they're disrupting at, uh, at, at the various correspondent banks or, or, or replacing the various correspondent banks and, and, and freeing up capital. Um, a good question would be to replace $21 trillion in Nostro-Vostro, how much XRP do you actually need? because it's probably some fraction of that. So if you start with that as, as kind of a high watermark for where the currency could ultimately get, um, that would be a good starting point. And then you can start thinking about things like market penetration or, 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 or anything else. Um, but to you know to do anything that's bottoms up or fundamentals driven in this market, I think is tough. Um, for no other reason than um, you can probably uh, fairly value crypto securities when they Come live, and, and and when there's actually tokens that are securing fundamentally valuable revenue streams um, that these these networks generate, and you can probably estimate what the what the high watermark mark would be for the cryptocurrencies themselves, right? Um, you know, in Bitcoin or, or the privacy coins case, it could be uh, how much money could go into those cryptocurrencies versus you know Swiss bank accounts, right? Um, and then I think for, for XRP, you have to ask the same question. You know, how how much money would be required? How big would the um, the M one, if you if you will, of XRP need to be to replace these nostro account balances? You know, at, at at a global scale and at full penetration.
0: Completely. Uh... Understand that. I think that's a very interesting perspective. And I wonder how many people have actually gone through that process as they look at the price of uh, many of these things. As Colin often says, do your research, people. And that's a really interesting perspective on how one might do that research. Uh, So as we sit here, there was obviously a couple of weeks ago, there was the the ripple price spike. And as a result of that, there was headlines about um, the the founders being some of the richest people on earth. But they're not the only ones, they're not the only currencies that saw the prices spike towards December. Um, And today, especially as we sit here on the 16th of January, um, there's some news coming out of uh, China and the PBOC potentially closing any centralized exchange and more South Korean regulation coming. Where do you think we're at um, from a macro- Trend point of view is—is is this the regulator strikes back?
2: I—I um, I, I think there might be an element to that. You know, your guess is as good as mine. What drives you know day-to-day price moves in, in this industry um, that, that certainly seems to have uh, you know broad impact right now. Um, w- one of the things that I think is going to be very interesting to watch is how quickly and successfully some of this decentralized exchange uh, apparatus is, is built out. Because if you if you take this. Um, whole industry and, 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 and movement to logical extremes, you can see that it's not just China, it's not just Korea, but but it, it will probably be many nations that have strong currencies that they like to um, keep as reserves, uh, you can see the threat that the asset class starts to to pose to them, uh, and and some of the systemic risks that this could create for um, for entire economies. Right, you, you think about in Korea, one in three people are trading cryptocurrencies now. Right, um, that's you know a, a crash could cause you know contagion, and and you don't know what the ripple effects could be um, if if the asset class corrected for you know the Korean economy. So, I think. Um, this is the early wave of uh, tight regulation that we're going to see in the market. And, and to me, the, the race has always been, are we going to see healthy decentralized exchange um, and, and liquid markets there before um, the choke points really, uh, you know, start to get shut down uh, on a global scale. I don't, you know, no, I don't think anyone anticipates that happening in, in the U S or, or Europe anytime soon. Um, but it could, right. You know, if, if, if you know, cryptocurrencies get five times more valuable. Um, you know, you're in the, the multi-trillion dollar uh, market category. And, and the ramifications of a crash at that point become... Uh, much worse and could have you know the same type of ripple effects uh, in the US or Europe as, as they might have in Korea, if there's a correction, given how many people are active in trade.
0: So what I take from that, Ryan, is that there's a real view that the the point at which contagion can come into the real economy is, is fast upon us. So it makes sense that regulators might start to react. Ryan, uh, we're up against it on time. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us on Blockchain Insider. Um, just tell the listeners where they can find out more about you, your blog and, and everything else.
2: On Twitter, best place to find me. Two bit idiot. T W O bit, as in Bitcoin. Idiot, as in me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We'd like that very much, Ryan. Thank you for being on Blockchain Insider, sir.
2: Thank you, guys. Have a good one.
0: Alrighty. Thank you very much to both of the Ryans. And thank you as always to the wonderful Colin G. Platt near a river. Colin G. Platt near a river. Um, We shall see you next week, I hope.
1: Thank you very much. Maybe from a field next week, too.
0: Oh, God. Where will Colin G. be? Um, I guess it's uh, where in the world is Colin San Diego? Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) No one knows international man of mystery i'm going for that
0: one that, that's ryan selkis you can't take that um so uh you know i'm, I'm totally going to plagiarize it and get
1: 14 billion dollars
0: <laughs> that's the way to do it uh thank you for listening uh thank you to our amazing production team at 11fs laura watkins our producer michael bailey our editor and uh petra of course our assistant producer petra Berkshire. thank you for for doing all the things you guys do to make this show happen um if you're listening, please, please subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and tell anybody um, that might enjoy the show that they can uh, they can listen to. We'll have more blockchain insider next week. Until then, goodbye.